Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change Podcast, your go-to show to learn about the most inspiring people living, working, and recreating on the American shorelines. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and I am so excited to share this conversation with you all because today I am joined by quite the inspirational human. Alex Palumbo is this masterful storyteller who is working to not only spread awareness about environmental challenges, but aims to do so in a way that provides an avenue for everyone, including you and me, to take action by pairing these issues with achievable solutions and behavior changes. Alex, welcome to the show. Jenna, thank you for that incredible intro. I'm happy to be here. Now, before we get into it, let's take care of some housekeeping and hear a brief message from our sponsors. We have three sponsors on the American Shoreline Podcast Network that keep us alive and going. Dune Doctors out of Pensacola, Florida, a firm dedicated to the restoration of dune systems with native and natural uh, plants, led by Frederic Barisset. Very good company. Find them at dunedoctors.com. And Coastal Engineering Consultants, headed up by our good friend, Michael Poff. They are out of Naples, Florida, and you can learn all about them at coastalengineering.com. And LJA Engineering, with 28 offices in Texas and around the Gulf of Mexico. Outstanding coastal engineering firm, led by Bill Worsham in that section. Uh, find them at lja.com. All right. So, Alex, let's take a little walk down your life's path. So, could you share a little bit of information about who you are, where you're from, and what are some of those formative moments that led you to where you are right now? Sure. So, I'm a, at the moment a full time photographer and cinematographer. I started off doing more photography and I've kind of transitioned more to the video end of it. I just feel like the market's so saturated with photographers that videos where it's a little bit easier to find your niche. I'm born and raised on Long Island. I bounced around in school for a bit. I started off at UConn first for pharmacy and then came uh, home to Long Island for a couple of years and ended up at Coastal Carolina where I majored in economics. I then moved out to California a week after graduation. I worked at Hulu first in finance. Then I worked at an electric car startup called Faraday Future as a buyer. So while I was out there, I was spending my weekends taking these road trips out to places like Yosemite and Joshua Tree and uh, you know along, along the coastline of California. And sort of realizing that there's so much out there that I wanted to document and kind of capture. The issue was I was working a corporate job and I was working you know eight to eight, uh, 12 hour days. I never really saw the the sun during the week and then i was just struggling on weekends just to do that so i kind of was feeling this urge of unfulfillment and i wanted to do something different at the same time um i kind of found out that my father back home he he had a an mri he had a tumor's brain they found so that kind of sped along my decision to move back to new york came home to help out with everything at home um and then also that whole situation with my dad being sick and he ended up passing away 16 months later. He had a really aggressive form of a glioblastoma multiform. And um, that really kind of instilled that fact in my head that life is short. And it's too short to be working in a job that you're not happy in. And it really should be the work you do, I believe. It should be fulfilling. It should make you excited to get up in the morning. And that really is what pushed me to, to do what I'm doing now. Um, so while I was in California, I was doing a bit of traveling out there and some photography. I got back to New York and really dove into it head first here. So since then, I've been 
collecting some uh, commercial clients. I've been making making videos wherever I can, making personal projects, work projects, and that's kind of the short answer of what got me started on this path. I don't know if you want to get any more uh, specific with it. Yeah, I think we'll. I mean, over the course of the conversation, we'll definitely have opportunities to dive deeper into some of those things. Um, but first, I'm so sorry for your loss. Um, that is really tough. But I think the way that you reacted to such a tragic experience and turning it into this positive thing where you changed your life trajectory is really inspiring and really important for people to hear about. So thank you for sharing that with us because I know that's not easy to talk about moments like that. Um, right. And the way I look at it is that like, so a situation like that in life, you can either go two ways. You can either make make something of it or you can wallow in it. And I think it's important that when those things come up, you just you take it and you use it as a you know as a as a rocket booster for whatever you want to do in your life. And and some and it's harder it's hard at times, but it definitely I think it, it is important to harden yourself like steel through situations like that. And then now after going through something like that, small problems come up and they're almost laughable. Like you know I you know something like in the past we've gotten like road rage or something. Now it's like all right, it's not a big deal. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, this whole part of the conversation is like hitting me in the heart right now because I relate to it pretty deeply and it's a slightly different way. But I personally, when I was 18, had a near death experience. I got hit by a car while I was crossing the street and it was a really bad situation. Um, and But seeing what happens when people are in those moments where they become very aware of your own mortality um, and what you choose to do with that moving forward really defines who you are because I had a similar experience where I was in, um, you know, I think just floating through life and, and doing the whole classic going to college. I think I want a major in business kind of thing and had this crazy experience happen to me. And from that second on throughout my entire recovery, I just realized that I needed to live with a higher sense of purpose because our time here is short. And uh, we're in control of what we do with it, and we can make the best of it, or we, like you said, we can wallow. Right, and it's and it's so easy to get just caught up in like the monotony of day to day life, just the routine of doing, you know, go to work, go to the gym, do whatever it is, and you just never end up living. And that's what honestly scared the shit out of me. I just didn't want to just live a boring life. I wanted to live a a, a life that I would. You know, when I'm older, I can think back and say that was yeah, great. Yeah, I'm proud of that. And everybody in my circles knows that I love them dearly and I support them and I cherish them. And same goes for the planet. You know, I'm here. I'm doing my part to take care of it. So when I pass on, eventually other people that are still here can live a healthy lifestyle. Yeah, we have one life on one planet. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so I, I also really enjoy hearing about the communities that people grew up in because so many of us come from these drastically different places and backgrounds. I personally sort of bounced all over the place with a military family, and then we ended up settling just north of Portland, Maine. You are from Long Island. Um, and here we are today, even though we took these different paths, working together to protect and conserve the planet. I would love to know what, what was it like growing up on Long Island? Um, and will you talk a little bit about the community there? Sure. So first off, Long Island definitely gets a bad rap. Uh, I don't know what it is, but in like in the media or like just this out of talking to people, you know, whether out of state or in state, Long Island always seems to have a bad um, kind of image for whatever reason. But my experience of it was great. So growing up, 
Um, I, I spend my, my whole childhood on, on the Great South Bay on the water. Me and my dad would be out there crabbing, fishing, clamming, um, spending days on the, on the boat, out um, going to the beach. So I have my best memories as a kid are on, on the water here on the island. Uh, and that's kind of some people maybe living it more inland or towards the city don't have the same experience living here. Uh, and Long Island is very coastal. Obviously, it's an island. And a lot of people kind of forget that. They, they forget that there are beaches and there are even in the winter too, not just summer beaches. I go all year round. So growing up, I, I grew up in a more, it's a kind of a half a blue collar, white collar area. You know, every other street had a pickup truck in it. And it was a very much a, a surf fishing area I grew up in. So everyone either was a fisherman or a surfer or a combination of both, just a general waterman on the whole entire area. So everyone had a big appreciation for the bay we grow up on. Now I see the the main issue with the, at least like the education of the community is that the there's not much in terms of local uh, kind of education as to what we can do to preserve this bay. I've noticed in my lifetime, you know, in the in the 28 years I'm I've I've been alive, I've noticed the a drastic change in one flooding algae in the bay, the amount of uh, sea life in the bay. So as a kid, I'd be out there, I'd see sea turtles, a ton of crabs, clams, a ton of shellfish, everything. You go out there now, it's pretty barren. And it's probably a combination of things that are causing that. And then on top of that, there's uh, some crazy flooding in my area we get. It used to happen maybe once every five years or once a decade, like a really bad storm. Now it happens a couple times a year. There are times where I can't even park in my driveway. I have to park my truck on the main road and walk through you know, a couple feet of water to get to my house. And that's happening within the last decade. And so there's definitely changes that are happening. And it's just kind of, I think it's almost people become kind of blind to it because they see it. They don't really notice the drastic change. I, I noticed it more because I moved away. I moved away to school in California. Then when I came back, I had kind of a different perspective on it. And also that moving away from the island and coming back to it definitely made me like it a lot more. I appreciate it more the second time around living here than I did the first time. Yeah, I always say that with, um, you know, people that are younger and trying to figure out what they're doing with their life. I am a, a big supporter of traveling um, and going out and seeing the world because that helps shape your view of what you truly love and what you truly like and getting all kinds of different life experiences. Because I had a similar situation happen with Maine. You know, Maine is such an incredible place, but wherever you grow up, it's just home. And then when you leave and you come back, you you start to realize those little things that you truly love and connect to. Um, and then those environmental changes that, yes, are gradual to people that are there all the time and don't leave. Um, so if you do have an opportunity to travel and you're able to, it's a, a really in, important experience to have to realize so many things. Um, but also, so with Long Island being right on the water, and um, having, do, do you think that that being that close to the water is central to the culture of the communities there? Like, is there a big group of watermen on Long Island? I, I'm interested to know what it's like being that close to this city. Like, do you feel like you have that watermen culture? So I'm in the minority where I don't like the city. I really don't like Manhattan. I don't really don't like going there. Uh, but yeah, so there's definitely a big group of people who are along my state of mind that they like the beach and the water better than the city. And then there's a the group that are all into the city and then never really kind of deal with the water. So it's kind of almost separated in that way. And the culture, at least where I live on the South Shore of Long Island, it's very much this waterman community. I mean, everyone surfs, everyone fishes, everyone kind of 
knows each other too. I mean, you go to the beach, you can see all the guys with the four wheel drive paths that are fishing out there, surfing. So there definitely is a sense of community of the people who, who, um, you know, take care of these beaches. And for the most part, these watermen are, are pretty good with caring for the beaches. You know, everyone cleans up after themselves for the most part. Um, you know, fishing regulations are all followed. Everyone's pretty good with that. I guess it boils down to more so it's the people who don't live in the area who kind of come once every couple of weeks or once a month that don't have that same appreciation for the water because they didn't grow up on it. So to them, it's just another place they can just leave garbage on when they leave. Yeah. And so because watermen are on the front lines of climate change and they're out there every day seeing how the environment is changing. And then additionally, the people that live on Long Island year round, um, is there some sort of awareness or or behavior change that's happening to alleviate some of these challenges, whether it's plastic or fertilizers on your lawn, um, you know, fishing regulations, like is, are, are the communities on Long Island working to address some of these challenges? Yeah. So there, there are a few organizations that um, like save the great South Bay is one that's been around for a while. They're always trying to, to uh, promote um, kind of this idea of, of, how to keep the bay clean, how to keep the beaches clean. I want to spotlight a couple of local guys too. Uh, Brian at Terramar, he's doing a great job of, of he's from Long Island, from the next town over for me. He's doing a great job of educating kind of the public on what they can do to help. He's doing some great social media campaigns. Like right now they're doing a, a hold on tight campaign with a photo campaign with uh, Instagram where you take a video or a photo of yourself picking up a balloon at the beach, you tag a few friends in it. They do the same thing. They kind of spread that, make it a kind of a viral challenge of uh of cleaning up balloons off the beach, which are actually Long Beach just passed the regulation banning them a few days ago, which is really cool. Um, And then another friend of mine, Luch, he's from the next town over from me as well. He invented this product called the Wax Scrappler, which I don't know if uh, if you're aware, but typical surf wax is petroleum-based, which petroleum-based products are are harmful to the ocean. And and a lot of guys, when they they surf or you you scrape the wax off, some of it ends up in the parking lot or on the beach, wherever you are. So this product he developed is, has a little reservoir in it. So as you scrape uh, with the same device, it collects in this reservoir. You put this plug on it and squeeze it together and makes it reforms it into a cube, which then you could push up like a glue stick and reapply. So the issue with surf wax is that as it gets pressed down by your feet, it kind of flattens out and loses the uh, sticky, bumpy quality to it. So by scraping it, reforming it, and reusing it, you can use the same block of wax theoretically for you know maybe 10 times, maybe even more. So that's – I mean there, there's some – there's, there's some things like that that are going on that are definitely moving in the right direction. Yeah. And um, for listeners, you actually might be familiar with Brian Urisitz with Terramar Project because he is, has been a guest on this show and um, he will actually be co-hosting with me. Um, we're going to Dallas uh, up in the coming weeks um, and he's going to co-host some of these podcasts with me. So if you aren't familiar with him, you will certainly have an opportunity to get to know him. He's a character. He's very passionate about what he does. Um, so feel free to go back in the show archives and listen to the episode with Brian. Um, Brian is also an avid surfer. And Alex, I understand that you are too. Um, and I've had a few other surfers on this show. So I would really love to hear um, what your connection is with the sport, because from speaking to other surfers that I've had on, um, it's so much more than just going out on the water. It's it's like this holistic experience um, that is so central to the identities of 
of all of the surfers that I know in my life. Um, do you have that same experience? And what does surfing mean to you? Yeah, to me, I mean, the ocean in general, I mean, I'm not just I'm not just focused on just surfing. I'm into like kite surfing, stand up, stand up paddling, free diving, spear fishing. I mean, basically, it's the ocean. It's not just surfing; it's the ocean to me. So, I mean, even like my, my dad always told me growing up, he said, "Salt water's in your veins," and I, I truly believe that. I, I've I grew up on the salt water, and even when I was going away to school, he t- I was applying to a couple of schools that are inland, and he said, "You're not going to be happy there, away from the ocean." And and he was right. I took that advice and didn't go inland. Uh, and I, I definitely, to me, the ocean is something where I could. I try in the sum in the summer. I try every day if I can get get in the water. Whether it's whether I'm you know I'm surfing or whether I'm bringing my water housing with my camera and shooting some um, shoot some underwater shots or some wave photography. Uh, it's just there definitely is this time this uh, the semblance of peace you get when you're out there and you just you just there's a especially underwater. I got to say free diving when you're underwater without a scuba tank and you don't have that sound of your oxygen the uh, you know that tank breathing like Darth Vader. You have your, but pretty much silence other than the sounds of, of, you know, fish or sometimes you can even hear dolphins. You hear their echo, their clicks and their echolocation from a pretty good distance away. Um, it's just, it's, it's a surreal experience being out there, especially when, I mean, there are days we're out there and you're riding on your board and there are dolphins breaching next to you or there are humpback whales, you know, a, a quarter mile away. You see them breaching right there. And it's actually a pretty cool thing I, I'm noticing the last few years, the, the humpback whales have, have really started coming back to this area and you can see them. From you know, especially in the fall, there are a ton of them. But you see them migrating, and the, it looks it feels like you're in Hawaii. You just see a ton of whales, dolphins. I've seen a, I saw a giant stingray uh, last summer. So they're the, the moments I have in the ocean are definitely some of my happiest times. And those are I, I truly, truly, you know, sometimes I'm out there. And I just laugh to myself. I'm just giddy with with you know how I feel out there, and that's and that's I. I, I really appreciate that I can experience that this close to home. Yeah. And like talk, talk about a rare experience for, if you think about how many people live on the planet, um, the people that are scuba certified or have an opportunity to go get in the water, um, even a couple times a year, but especially with scuba or snorkeling, when you're able to get underneath the surface and start exploring and interacting with all of the wildlife that lives there it's like you're on another planet, but it's wild to think about because it's our very own planet and it's the majority of our planet. It's just so foreign to so many of us. And the craziest thing is we know more about space than we do of, of the depths of the ocean, which is wild to me. I mean, this, this is the, the planet we live on, we know less about than, than the galaxy we live in. Yeah, which is a pretty it's, it's thing. so wild. And I always... I. I like to bring that fact up in a way that's like, I'm of course so supportive of space exploration. That is also so important, but we need to be putting funding toward ocean exploration um, to understand how our own planet operates and all of the species that live here. There are so many things that live in the ocean that we have yet to even discover, which is so fascinating. We don't even know, we haven't even mapped our entire ocean floor. Um, There's just so much for us to do. Yeah, it, it's unreal. It, it's an untapped area. It really is. Yeah, for sure. So I'd like to dig a little deeper into the visual storytelling side of things um, and hear from you. Why is this is film and photography an important tool to raise awareness and spark action about environmental issues? So here's here's kind of uh, my view on it. And I have to credit uh, Kyle Tierman. He's a Patagonia surf ambassador. I, on his podcast, he spoke about the same thing. And he mentioned how the typical 
conservation, you know, ocean conservation messaging is doom and gloom. It's always negative. It's always, you know, we're fucked, the planet's fucked, and you know, there's nothing we can do about it. And his, he kind of said, you know, we need more people out there that are kind of spreading, showing, you know, what's wrong with the, with the, with the ocean, but then showing what we can do about it. And I think that's, that's a really good way of looking at it. So what I'm putting together for this summer is a short documentary. I want to show kind of the problems of the Great South Bay, what, how it's changed, you know, let's say from the 70s, from the 80s till now, and to show kind of some simple things that locals can do to stop what's happening and even reverse it. I know mean, some simple things like not buying nitrogen uh, lawn fertilizer can do a big part in mitigating the al- algae blooms and the shellfish uh, dying off. But most people don't even know that. You know, you go to Home Depot, the average homeowner is buying a bag of fertilizer. They're not even checking what it's made out of. And they're putting it on their lawn, which is right on the bay. And then it rains and it runs right off. And they're not doing it maliciously. They just don't know. And there's really... And the only messaging out there is either in text or it's in, you know, it's in visuals that aren't honestly that appealing to watch. So they tune out right away. The negative messaging, same thing. You tune out right away. So my idea is to show kind of, you know, to show it in, in a pretty way, to sit in, a, in a cinematic way that make, will make people want to watch it while spreading good messages. So kind of what, what, give, what gave me the, the hope that that would work was last summer there's this well there's this event every year called Hemstock, which is a an event everyone goes to this place called Hemlock Cove. Um and it's it used to be just kind of like the locals in the South Shore. Now it's kind of blown up where they have people coming from all over the island, from almost Queens all the way to east. And it's become this huge thing where now they have you know floating uh, rafts in the water, DJs. It's become this crazy thing where and they honestly trash the beach. And it's on the it's on the cove side of the bay, so it's not on the ocean side. So that day I was actually driving to the beach to go uh, kite surfing. It was a little bit windy that day, and I saw a bunch of people in the water, people getting dropped off in Ubers on Ocean Parkway, which is not really an area you could stop. They're getting dropped off with cases of beer, and I, I, was, I th- thought to myself, it's going to be wrecked tomorrow. So I had, had this idea, so I got my buddy Joe my sister Stephanie. The next day, we took my boat out the next morning. We went to the cove, the area it was. And now this is the craziest part. I didn't even know. So the, the event itself is done for, I think it used to be done for charity and they sell tickets for it. So it has this good um, kind of like roots. It just kind of devolved into something just just that, that's become unwieldy at this point. And I went out there. I didn't know they already had cleaned that night or earlier that morning. And I still found, I filled my boat up with bags of garbage with maybe about seven or eight plastic pool floats that were flown along the islands there. There was so much trash left even after a cleaning crew went through there. And that just showed how much was even there in the first place. And that's a place where, you know, the typical Islander won't really go to. It's only accessible by boat or you get dropped off, you know, on the highway. But like, that's a place where I'll go, you know, I'll go surfing there all summer, all fall. And I don't want to jump out of my boat and step on glass. And then even beyond that, you have all the plastic that the, the that's going to get ingested by the crabs or clams that we're then we're eating later on. So yeah, and I imagine there are probably some really vital wetlands that are in that area too that are just collecting all kinds of trash. And you know we need those areas to mitigate storm surge and flooding and provide crucial habitat for all the the wildlife that lives in the area. And that's actually that's an area where piping plovers live and they're they're protected in this area, but it just becomes, you know, events like that kind of undermine the whole all the work going into it. So, I so what I did was so me and my friend and uh, Joe and I, we cut together a little video of it, shared it on Facebook. It got a, over 100,000 views. It got shared almost a thousand times and it really blew up in, in on Long Island. People were messaging me, commenting on it. 
Um, and I guarantee some people who went to that event felt embarrassed the next day because they probably thought I didn't do the best I could have to clean up. And that's kind of, that's kind of what I wanted to do with that one. I kind of wanted to show like, look what you guys did. Like, you know, you had fun, fine. I'm not against fun. Like I, you know, I love having beer as much as the next guy, but like clean your shit up, like bring a bag with you. Uh, so th- I'd like to this summer to do a little follow-up, a uh, shorter video to kind of build, uh, I'm going to build little posts and dispensers made out of wood and put some biodegradable bags in there. I'm trying to figure out the right material to use to, as to not repollute, but I want to put posts with these little garbage bag, bag dispensers at all these different kind of beaches that aren't really uh, regulated by towns. It's that they don't have trash bins or bags there. So that way it takes away the excuse. So you, the bag is there. You basically have to take your trash. At this point, now you're just being irresponsible if you don't take a bag out. So that's going to be my follow-up, you know, the next couple months, a shorter video for that. Yeah. And I really appreciate, appreciate the, the positive approach that you're taking to it, the positive messaging, and then also a community-based approach where you're like, okay, you know, maybe you just didn't know, or you thought that there's a cleaning crew coming through after. So, you know, now you guys know, and you know, to change your behavior this time around and you're following up with it. And I think that that is really important not to be going in and shaming people for what they're doing. Um, and then working with them with the follow-up to try to push this forward to see, okay, so last year was kind of a disaster. Let's see if we can make a little bit more progress this year and then continue doing that to get the whole community on board um, and letting them see what their behavior is doing too, I think is so impactful rather than just telling them. Yeah, because everyone makes mistakes. I mean, it's and it happens to everyone. Let's say something flew out of your boat while you're driving or whatever it is. It happens. I get that. But when you when you do when you know that it happens, the next time you do it, now you're just being negligent. So yeah, that, that's a, that's a great point to show that, and also the, the, to visually see it. You know, people can say, "Oh, you left a bunch of trash at the beach," and they say, "Oh, okay, whatever." But if they see the video of you know the, to see us lifting these pool floats off of these islands and picking up countless beer cans, they could just see visually, okay, that's a beautiful beach that is now covered in trash. And I think the visual impact it makes is so much more than just words or text. Absolutely. And understanding that everyone creates in their own way. So there definitely won't be like one kind of cookie cutter way for people to listen to this episode and then magically produce the high level visuals that you do. But I also think it's important to hear how people create because there's so much to learn there and we can all learn from each other and be inspired by each other. Will you walk me through your creative process and what keeps you motivated and interested in your work? All right. So I very much shoot from the hip when I, like when I do smaller projects, I'm very much kind of spontaneous with that. I like a lot of guys use shot lists, um, you know, for for they kind of plan out what they want to do. I really don't like doing that because I feel like they end up, you kind of get boxed into this one idea where I have to execute what I wrote down. I more so go along the lines of I go to a location, whatever it is, and just what whatever looks kind of captivating to me is what I'll film or what I'll try to message or try to try to say. I might have a general message that I have an idea that I want to talk about, but the actual shots themselves, I let the locations kind of dictate that. And it could be, you know, you go to one spot one day, the lighting could be great in one direction, different the next, or whatever it is, or the the weather changes. So it's very I'm very open to being spontaneous in that way, I really don't like kind of keeping a shot list. You know, for bigger projects, I will have a general outline of what I want to shoot. But still, I I very much kind of just shoot from the hip what looks good and just make it up as I go, which probably isn't the 
what you're supposed to, you know, the way you're taught in schooling. And then again, I taught, myself, I taught myself all this. So through, you know, thank YouTube, YouTube University is really how I learned how to edit, how to, how to do a lot of this. But a lot of it also is just, is, uh, just comes from, you know, having an eye for it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I think the most important thing for creatives is really to trust yourself um, and trust your eye. If you do have a good eye, um, trust yourself and listen to yourself when you're in those situations. And and I say this just for listeners, because I know that this this show is a continual journey of getting to know not only my guests, but also me. Um, I have this constant drive to create, whether it's through photography or writing or podcasting or what have you. I'm always looking for new opportunities to express myself and connect to people. But, um, you know, I also find myself in a similar situation where I'm self-taught and I'll just go to a, 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 where, wherever I'm shooting or wherever I'm writing. And it's so much as just listening to your own internal voice and trusting yourself. Yeah, it's really you, you go to a location, whatever catches your eye. That's what you should be talking about. That's what you should be shooting. So also, I want to mention one of my favorite quotes. I don't even know who said it, but I, I read this years ago. It's a creative adult is a child who has survived. And I love that for so many reasons because a lot of people, when they become an, you know, they become quote unquote adult or they, they get a real, a full-time job, they kind of ditch whatever hobbies they had or creativity they had and they just work and they go to happy hour and that's it. And it's, it's a shame because I think there really could be a lot more artists and creatives out there that have potential. It's just, they're not even being tapped or used. So you know, let's say you, you like sketching or like drawing, do it. Do it on your lunch break. Do it on, you know, when you get home from work. Do it between, between, you know, whatever the phone calls. It's there. There's so much. There's so much creativity that I feel like is being lost because people are just kind of scared to even try it, or, or they're scared to be bad at something. Like I'm still learning every day. I, I don't even think I'm, I'm that good at what I'm doing. It's just that I I try to just shoot as much as I can and edit as much as I can, and that's how you become a master at something just by repetition. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, a lot of the times when I'm creating, I'm, I'm doing it mostly for myself because I have this thing inside of me that needs to continually be creating, whether it's through the photography or the writing or podcasting. Um, but so you don't even need to share it with anyone if that's the thing, if you're afraid to, to put yourself out and be vulnerable in that way. Although I will plug putting your work out there because even though it might be the scariest thing in the entire world, there are going to be people that connect to it and understand and relate to you and maybe need to see it. Um, and it's kind of this fun, like little adrenaline rush when you start sharing your work. Um, but I, I think that this plays into a really important theme, which is self doubt, because sometimes when I am creating something, I am sitting there and I'm like, I don't even know what I'm doing. Is this going to have the impact that I'm intending it to have? Sometimes I don't even know what I'm creating while I'm creating it. You know what I mean? And and do you do you ever have those moments of self doubt? And if you do, how do you work through them? All right. So I mean, even like any video I ever edit, I, I think this sucks. Like every time I do it, I'm like, I hate it. This sucks. And that's just part of I think of of being a creative that you're never going to be satisfied with what you're doing. And it's, it's very easy to sit there and to re-edit a video a thousand times and still think it's not good, it's not good, the music isn't right. At a certain point, you have to just put it out there. And then then the next one, you you learn, you, you piggyback off that and learn from it. So yeah, I mean, all the time I think that, you know, this, this stuff isn't good or it's not good enough or I want it, it's not the right, not the exactly right shot I wanted or the wrong angle or some, and I mean, the things you can't make everything perfect. And as your work goes on, as you, as you keep working, you will get better and more comfortable. So I obviously spend, you know, spend time on, especially if the client's paying you for it, spend enough time on it. 
But if, like, if it's personal projects, you know, do what feels right. You know, the first couple times, you know, fit, put it out there, whether it's a drawing or a painting or a video, whatever it is, or even like a song I see you're singing, you know, do it, put it out there and then do the next one. And then you'll see, look back a year later and you'll see how much growth you've had in that year. Yeah. It's all about, you know, lifelong learning and progress. And if you're making that progress, you know, you don't need to hold yourself to benchmarks with everybody else in the world. And I know that's so easy to do given the social media era that we live in right now. It's so easy to compare yourself to others and be exposed to, you know, some of the most extremely talented people in the world. But if you check in internally and, you know, look back on your work like a year ago, like you were saying, and start to see like, what have you learned from that? And, you know, how, what are the new ways that you're inspired? I, I definitely consider that a win. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of what inspires me. And so I, I look back at myself even from six months ago and I'm like, I'm, I'm disgusted by it, but I still think, all right, cool. If I, if I did this much better now, then how am I going to be in another six months from now? So that really, right. you don't. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't be where you are right now if you didn't, if you weren't that version of yourself six months to a year ago. Right, right. Yes. Um, so I'm sure the listeners are interested in knowing, and I am interested in this as well. What kinds of projects are you working on right now? Or do you have any that you're particularly excited about coming up? So right now I'm doing, I mean, some basic uh, commercial work for clients in the area. But what I'm most excited about is this short documentary I'm, I'm putting together for this summer. So I'm, I'm, I'm working with Brian, actually, at Terramar. I'm working with a few other um, professors at Stony Brook, where this is what I'm most excited about, to tell this story of kind of, of Long Island, uh, you know, the Great South Bay, of our waters here. And I really want to highlight the success story that, that's been had in the Chesapeake Bay area. So part of my the, this positive messaging I want to bring is I want to show another coastal area that had very bad I, – I think the stat was the Chesapeake Bay area had their oyster population down to within less of 1% of what it was maybe 50 years before. So they were in historical low level. And they had a great rebound through a lot of, you know, a lot of conservation efforts and money that went into it, and good messaging that was spread about it. For whatever reason, Long Island hasn't gotten any type of press like that, or, or any really, you know, you have like Stony Brook and universities doing good work with it, but you know, they write their research papers, and then it's sad to say no one reads them, or they just kind of, you know, they get sent out, and a couple people in the Facebook group read them, and that's really it. And the general public isn't even aware; they're not, they're not, uh, you know, kind of it's not brought to their attention. So that's where I think I can come in where I can make this short, you know, documentary showing the beauty of the island, showing what we have here, showing success story that happened in the Chesapeake Bay area and then bring that all together and say how can everyone around here do their small part and we can have the same success that Chesapeake Bay had right here at home. I love that connection so much. I mean, some of the listeners might know I'm a big Chesapeake Bay nerd because before I uh, took the role that I'm in now with the American Literal Society, I worked down at Chesapeake Bay program. And you're absolutely right. I mean, the recovery efforts, not only with the oysters, but the entire Bay health as a whole, is the direct result of communities in the six watershed states that surround it, this massive watershed and the District of Columbia all coming together to work really hard to improve the health of the Bay by making sometimes some really drastic changes. Um, so it's a really complex story. I think it's one that's worth telling. And I often, I'm sure you probably can relate to this too. And I know that we're talking about usually putting like a positive spin on things, but sometimes when I'm hanging out with my friends and family, I feel like I can be that downer friend because I'm, I'm always like pointing out 
um, facts that are maybe not so fun. So when I was living down in Annapolis, Maryland, people would come visit and, you know, everybody would be like, oh yeah, let's go get some oysters. And I would always be like the first person to be like, well, you know, most of these oysters are actually imported from Louisiana right now. So they're not these like famous Chesapeake Bay oysters that you're hearing about. Um, but you know, there are some really amazing local aquaculture projects that are going on, um, in the Bay and there's this real push to bring back the, um, Chesapeake Bay oyster and they're doing phenomenal work with it. It's really exciting. So I'm looking forward to, um, seeing this film and, and following along with that story. Yeah. And there's, there's some companies here. There's like, I think it's called the billion oyster project in New York. You're going in into repopulating the New York Harbor with oysters, but also, I mean, nothing against them, but their, their, their social media, uh, isn't, isn't great. So it doesn't stand out. So like, let's say the typical mid twenties person, they want to see something that looks good. They want to look at a, a cool photo or a cool video and then get messaging out of it as sad as that is. So if, you know, if, if I could spread that same message, uh, kind of showing, you know, what, what we can do and have it look good so people actually watch it. Because, look, it's 2019. No one wants to watch anything. No one wants to read anything that doesn't look good, and they have no attention span to begin with. So if someone's going to spend, while they're scrolling on Instagram, 10 seconds watching something, and if they if it's if it's good-looking enough and cinematic enough where they say, huh, this looks, looks kind of cool. Let me keep watching it. And then from there, they look into maybe doing more research on their own or reading more on it. Then you've succeeded as a you know as to what you're trying to do. So the, the try to grab their attention because everyone you know they're, they're like like kittens right now just distracted by every little laser pointer out there and it it's it's insane like how attention spans are zero right now so like the stuff you put out there has to has to be cool it has to look good even if it's a, a conservation message or a message that's quote unquote a little more boring than it is like says like skydiving or something but it still has to look good for people to even want to look at it Mm -hmm. and you know what speaking of being all over the place with your attention span i totally just like mixed up my species so it's the blue crab that's imported from louisiana and not the oyster i was like after i said that i was like what am i talking about (laughs) that's one of the things i noticed as a kid I'd go out there and you could, you, there would be a ton of crabs out in the bay. Now I went out there with my buddy Chris uh, last year. I think it was last September. Usually when the crabs are at their biggest and mo- the most are out there, we were out there for probably two and a half hours. We didn't see one crab, not even one. And I don't know if it was like a bad day to go out or the, whatever it was, but it was just I've never in my experience had a day where I didn't see one. And I hadn't crabbed for a few years before this. And I went out there. We didn't find one crab. And that honestly kind of scared me. It's like, holy shit, like this this is something's going on here, obviously. Yeah. And I mean, so much of that is in relation to like extreme weather events and what the breeding population is doing that year. So yeah, I'm, I don't know a whole lot about that area in terms of the crab population, but it would definitely be interesting to look at the trends to see, um, you know, hopefully they're trending upward, but you never know. Yeah, if, if, if I were a betting man, I, I would say they're trending downward just from like what I've seen. I just don't see that many anymore, even hanging on the side of the dock. You know, I'd walk in the backyard as a kid, and you know, I, I would just I'd spend the whole day just kind of using a net and just scooping them up, putting them in a bucket, and then throwing them back in as a little kid. Now you look down the down to the side of the bulkhead on the dock, and there's just nothing. There's not one crab. Yeah, what an eerie feeling. Yeah, it's like an empty, it's an empty bay at this point. That's sad. <laughs> um, but this, do you have a favorite project that you've ever worked on? The, all the commercial projects, honestly, they 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 weren't they were and they're fine, but they never really like kind of 
instilled love to me. I got to say that the video I did I did last year with the uh, Hempstock cleanup, I really enjoyed doing it, and I enjoyed spreading that message. So I'd have to say that's probably the favorite project I've done. You know, it wasn't a paid project or anything. I you know I did it myself, but that to me was was my favorite. I really felt like it was most impactful, and that's and I liked feeling that out of it that people genuinely enjoyed watching it. They they enjoyed sharing it, and and it, it stirred up conversation. There were, I saw it in groups I posted in. There were entire com- people, message boards, people talking about it, just, you know, all different from across the island, across like even the state and out, out of the state too, people who have moved out and saw the video. So th- that was really cool to see the impact that had. And that kind of that kind of gave me the spark to say, okay, I can do now this, this water documentary and kind of continue going with that. And people really do take to something that looks good and spreads a good message. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, I can really hear the passion in your voice when you're talking about that project. And I, I think it's so amazing because you sparked a really important conversation that needed to be had through this platform of filmmaking. Um, and that has to feel really rewarding to see the level of engagement that you were able to foster through putting this video out there and taking the time to, to show this problem um, and try to, you know, start that conversation about behavior change and, and being better about what we do with our waste when we go to the beach. I was honestly pleasantly surprised at how, how it took off. I really didn't, didn't think, you know, it would kind of get that big, but 100,000 views, I never expected that for, you know, a simple little thing we shot in, in a couple hours. I really didn't expect that, but that just showed people do care. They just need to be kind of it needs to be kind of put in front of their face, which is, you know, unfortunate, but it's the reality. Yeah, definitely. Um, and so thinking about how rewarding that that was to get the community involved in this this film and having that conversation about conservation, um, I'm, I'm interested to hear a little bit more about what are some of the most rewarding things about doing this work? And then on the flip side of it, are there things that are really challenging for you? Yeah, I'd say so. Are rewarding, obviously, is just to know that you know where where I grew up and where I'm living again now is is gonna is gonna be here for my lifetime for a few for my kids' lifetime for you know for for as long as it can be you know that that's that's the rewarding part to know that I, if I can have some impact on it you know that that's that's cool uh it, I guess the, the the challenges are that it's kind of hard to get people to uh kind of get invested in it if they don't live on the water themselves they almost Think, okay, that, that doesn't affect me. I really don't care. And the reality is, you know, the, the oceans affect all of us. They're really essential to, to life everywhere, whether you live in, whether you live in Manhattan or upstate New York or on the island, the ocean's affecting you in some way. It's just a trickle down effect. And so probably the challenging part is then to get the people who aren't on the South Shore, aren't watermen to understand or to care. And that's obviously, you know, that's, that's a generalized statement. There are people who live in, in the middle of Kentucky who probably give a shit about the oceans, but the reality is most people, they not, not maliciously, they just don't know. And they, it's you know, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And, and you're making me want to give a shout out to a group that we work really closely with through my day job with the Healthy Oceans Coalition is this group that is focused on just that, the whole out of sight, out of mind issue in terms of ocean conservation. So they're, they started as the Colorado Ocean Coalition. They've now grown because they have chapters in all different kinds of landlocked states, and they're called the Inland Ocean Coalition. And I encourage everybody listening to this to go check them out because they are making leaps and bounds in terms of awareness of ocean issues and stewardship from upstream sources. Um, 
in all of these different landlocked states around the the country. Um, so they're really inspiring and they're doing really important work because it, you're exactly right, Alex, is I think a lot of people, if you don't see it and you don't connect with it and you don't interact with it all the time, it makes total sense. If you're not thinking about it, then you know, you're not going to be taking the actions to actively be trying to take care of it. Um, so I just wanted to give a little shout out to this group that I know is working really hard to address that issue. Um, and I also want to be sure that listeners can connect with you um, and follow along with the amazing work that you're doing. So how can people find you? So my Instagram is at A-L-X-P-A-L-U-M-B-O at Alex Palumbo at A-L-X. Uh, my website is www.alexpalumbo.us. Uh, from there, you can find my email, uh, you know, contact information. So yeah, Instagram messaging, email, um, the website, best ways to get in contact with me. If anyone is wants to get involved on this this project on Long Island about the water here, if anyone has any insight, um, if anyone can, can kind of be a, a good resource to interview or to be involved, I'd love for you to shoot me a message. I'd love to uh, get you on board. I'm open to really any collaboration in that way. And before we start to wrap up, um, there are so many different environmental challenges that we're faced with and it can feel really overwhelming. So this might be like a giant question to ask you, um, but what do you think, like in your opinion, what are the most pressing environmental challenges that we're faced with? I think, okay, in terms of the ocean, I think overfishing is huge. I'm all for sustainable fishing, like spear fishing, line fishing, you know, catching, you know, enough to feed you and your family for that night or a couple of days. When you get those, you know, those boats out there that are long line fishing or using those giant trawling nets and, and it's just, you have so much bycatch that you're throwing away, you know, what, 75. I'm, I mean, I'm making this stat up. I know you're throwing away a majority of what you're catching. It's not what you're trying to catch. So that right there is just, you know, it's awful. Like that, that fish could be feeding someone else. And when you have, when you're out there just overfishing, that's doing great damage. So I think that's something that could be pretty easily fixed. It's just a matter of, uh, I don't know, get, getting people to even uh, pay attention to that again. Um, I guess in terms of the inland, I mean, you have like all the assholes who are going to throw their beer cans in national parks and, par- and you know, everywhere else. Like, come on, just like pick up your shit. It's not that hard. Like you drink a beer, fine. Crush the can, put it in your pocket or your backpack. I see it, I see it at like, you know, ski resorts. I'm snowboarding on the ski lift and you're just looking at beer cans underneath you on the lift. Oh, yeah. Everyone's just crushing beers on their way up on the chairlift and they just drop them. <laughs> just don't throw it on the floor. Don't be an animal. Um, like, it's really like, just simple. It's just like simple things can make such a big impact. Just people just don't don't give a shit enough. And it's like it's frustrating. Like that's probably that's probably the most frustrating thing. It's just like and, and the thing is, I, don't, like, I feel like these people aren't throwing trash in their house. So it's like I'm going to go to the beach or like, you know, the, 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 the beach that I go to locally. Maybe it's not their beach necessarily. You're going to throw trash there. It's like throwing garbage in my living room. Yeah, don't disrespect all of our homes like that, people. Come on now. Yeah, it's it's true. So I, <laughs> that's probably like to me at least the biggest challenge. It's just like the the, the pollution, the overfishing. Uh, yeah, I mean that that's that's definitely the, just the tip of the iceberg, uh, literally. But uh, yeah, it's that. <laughs> yeah. So then to segue into uh, something a little more positive. So what are you hopeful for moving forward? Um, I'm I, I like well, I think that. I think once people do see what's happening or do get the right messaging as, you know, as in those hundred thousand views show, like people do, once they see it, they, they do want, want to help. So I, I really do think people are genuinely good deep down. I think people are, are innately good. Uh, they're always going to be bad eggs, but those are always, you know, a lot of those people went through their own bad experiences that formed them that way. And it couldn't, you know, I don't think 
they're evil people. They're just people who have gone through shit and who are, who are going through shit and are showing it in different ways. So I'm hopeful where you have the where you have people who who see what's going on and they're so willing to to make changes or willing to spread the message. And that's what I'm hopeful about. I see, you know, the especially the younger generation seems to be a little bit more uh kind of conscious to it. You know, nothing against the older generation, but it almost seemed like back then it almost didn't matter or like they didn't even have the science behind it. Now I'm seeing, you know, the younger generation cares more. You know, there are young filmmakers. I just I just watched the the film Chasing Coral a couple of nights ago. I love that film. Everybody listening, go. It's on Netflix. Check it out. It's amazing. He's from New York. Uh, and he's uh, he, he first did uh, Chasing chasing Ice, I think it was, about the melting uh, glaciers, now Chasing Coral. And he showed how within 2016, the Great Barrier Reef lost 30% of their coral died off within one year. So just from, uh, you know, the temperature was a little bit hotter, the ocean, it bleached the coral, and then the entire living organism of the coral dies, and then all the fish die. I noticed myself, I was in uh, Rincon, Puerto Rico in January, I was doing some free diving out there. And I got to say, I, the, the reefs weren't that teeming with life. And I've never been to Rincon before, so I can't speak from my own experience. But I was curious, I wanted to ask, you know, let's say an older fisherman that had been out there forever, if it used to be different. Because I did some, you know, some diving, some snorkeling out there. I didn't see much. Really, it was pretty barren for what I expected Puerto Rico to be in terms of fish life. And that's probably just a small, small, small example of what's going on, you know, globally. Yeah, it's a pretty stark contrast when you see a healthy reef versus a unhealthy or dead reef, um, whether it's on Chasing Coral or or Instagram or photos, or if you're able to go see it in person. I have been very fortunate in my life to be able to travel to Bali and do some snorkeling around reefs there. And um, when I was out there, we were able to travel to some healthy ones and some that were either dead or damaged by dynamite fishing. Um, And it's pretty shocking just to see the lack of color, the lack of biodiversity. There's no fish um, versus when you're at a healthy one. It is just this unbelievably moving experience to be swimming around a reef with all of this life um, just continuing around you and, you know, the fish and other critters that you encounter are kind of curious about who you are and what you do. And you really immerse yourself in that ecosystem, really important things to take care of. The coolest thing about reefs. So I did also some free diving in uh, Oahu, Hawaii in uh, a few months back. And they, that reef was pretty healthy. The one I dove on there and it's crazy how loud reefs are when you're underwater, they make this, this crackling, almost like this fizz. Sound. And that's all that, you know, you're hearing everything going on and the reefs truly sounds alive, which is really cool. And that's what I love about free diving is that you're down there without a tank and you can just hear all this crackling and, and pops and, and, and I'm hearing dolphins in the wild too is one of the coolest things you could ever experience. And you, you hear them before you can see them typically based on water visibility, but you start hearing these, these kind of like, these kind of like creaks and, and clicks and grunts and you, then you end up seeing them get closer to you. And it's really is one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Such a cool experience. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you mentioned how empowered the youth are right now. And and I've been talking about that lately a lot with my friends and people at work because they. I'm just so inspired by how empowered high schoolers and younger people are right now. And it, it, I always sort of frame it in a way that I wish that I had that sense of empowerment when I was their age. Um, 
you know, and I'm, I'm sure that there were people out there that were doing really great work, but I never really thought of myself as someone that could make, um, you know, a world of difference at that age. I, I think I was just like, well, you know, I'm a teenager and I'm going to do teenager things. And now you have all these young people that are just crushing it and like changing the world. And I, I love it so much. Yeah. And I have to really, so social media obviously is, is, has its good parts and bad parts. It's definitely a blessing and a curse, but social media is a big part of why these younger kids, well, first of all, they're growing up with the, literally the world at their fingertips where I, I grew up in, in a time where I kind of straddled both things. I had, um, you know, as a kid, I didn't have a phone. I played manhunt outside. I just was a kid. And then, you know, my sophomore year of high school is when I got my first phone. And then I had now the second half of my life, I've had smartphones and the internet. So I kind of saw it both ways. Um, which I think is a really cool, unique perspective to have to grow up in that generation that I did. But kids, they are growing up now with with platforms that where they, they do have any type of messaging they want to put out there, whether it's good or bad, they can put it out there pretty easily. And yet, you're right, you have these these teenager these teenage kids who are wise well beyond their years. I mean, you have like your fair share of shithead kids. That's I'm sure that's like you have these, these select few kids that are or you're right, empower that have this platform, they can go out there and speak about things. And it's really cool to see that social media really opens every door up the, out there. And that's also I want to about like in terms of, um, you know, creating same thing with social media, you, you have no excuse if you if you're good at something, and you want to do that as a whether it's a side hustle or your main job, you have no reason not to do it with social media, social media makes everything so accessible, you could sell photo prints drawings to someone in Australia very easily. And it's really it kind of takes all the excuses out of, oh, I can't do it or am I good enough, whatever it is. Like if you do it, you're going to have an audience. You know, if, if someone across the world might like what you're doing and that might be enough for you or you could really blow up. So that's the beauty. That's everyone wants to shit on social media, how it's such a bad thing. And obviously it has its it really is it has its bad parts. I agree with that. Like it's kind of it's making people dumber in some ways. Also it's making people more creative and it's giving you an outlet to, I mean, I got to say for myself, a lot of the video gigs I get are through Instagram. It's through a message I get or like an email and that's it. And so I can, you know, I, I, I did a big uh, contract last year with Spotify. That was through uh, an Instagram message through my friend Kate who works there. She's been watching, she's watched my videos for, for about a year, all my personal stuff. And she's like, Hey, you want to shoot for Spotify? And I'm like, yeah, I'd love to. So, I mean, like, so like it's definitely has its good parts. And, and I think it's important to not look at it like, Oh, it's just, it's, it's, social media is a demon. No, it's not. It's got its bad things, but I think overall it is it is pretty good for what we can do for in terms of messaging. Yeah, and I think you make a great point. And then it's a tool, essentially. That's what it is. And so we're we're about the same age. I'm 29, so I had a similar experience when I was growing up where we didn't really have that social media factor when I was most like I think we got Facebook my senior year or junior year of high school or something like that part of me is really glad because you see a lot of this the the online bullying that can happen or there are things in my life and my friend's life where I'm like oh god if that was on video um, you know I don't I don't want that to live forever because you know you're so different now than who you were then and like sometimes some of those moments don't need to live in perpetuity for for the rest of your life and be following you around, like whatever you were doing. Um, so that's good. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's a tool and people are going to use it for good and for bad, but it's, it's amazing because people now have the ability to be their own self promoters, even if no one else believes in them and they believe in themselves, just get on the, get on the old Instagram or the internet and start promoting your work. Because I too have had many opportunities come my way. Um, 
for photography work or for podcasting through social media platforms. Right. That's what, that's a way to put it though. It's a tool, you know, don't, don't make it your, your obsession, but if you use it in a well-rounded arsenal of a way to get your, your stuff out there, it it truly is a, a, an amazing tool that it really gives you a leg up that no one that like, you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have had that in the past. It was almost impossible to really get noticed by bigger companies back then. Now you can shoot a DM over and potentially get a response within a few minutes. It's pretty amazing. So we're going to wrap up with a two-part question. The first one is, what is the best advice that you've ever been given? That's, that definitely is a it's, a, it's a tougher question. I would say, so this isn't a quote from one person or I've heard this a few times over my life, but the idea of that if you want to be good at something, do it every day. That there is this uh, there was a study that was put out that spoke about how to become a master at something. There was a certain amount of hours you had to do it. So basically, it was fifteen minutes a day. I think it was for about ten years to become truly a master at something. And fifteen minutes a day is not much. Let's say you spend an hour a day doing what you're doing. You're going to really excel at whatever it is. So you know, people say, "Oh, I want to be good at that. I want to play guitar. I want to be good at this." But then they don't they don't touch the guitar because then they they suck at it the first few months. I, I, my experience with, with the cameras, I wanted to be good at it. I brought it everywhere with me. I shot everything and I'm still doing it. I'm still learning every day. And really, if you want to be good at something, do it, do it every day. And I used to only make, you know, travel videos every couple months when I would go away somewhere. Now I'm making them, you know, a random, like go to the beach one night and just cut a video out of it just from what I did that night, just to just practice the editing, practice the shooting, you know, try creative different shots. It's that that to me is is I really great advice that whether it's in your professional life or or personal life whatever it is just do whatever you want to excel at do it every day it sounds kind of stupid and self uh, explanatory but you'd be surprised at how many people just don't do what they want to be good at and they just kind of yeah and you know to to tag on to that too is when we're to circle back around to our social media conversation. To do something 15 minutes a day, think about how much time you spend scrolling through your Instagram feed or Twitter or Facebook throughout the day. You know, try to be mindful of that and say, oh, is there something more productive that I could be doing with my time right now? Because you're still going to have moments to check your social media pages. But, you know, if you could reduce your screen time and help, you know, boost yourself and teach yourself a new skill or strengthen a skill um, with that, even that 15 minutes, 30 minutes, hour, what have you, that's great i gotta say apple feature with their iphone they do that screen time thing where they, it pops up and I, I see that number and i'm like oh shit it's shocking i'm like i spend how much time on my phone and i'm trying i'm trying to actively not like i am turning notifications off i'm like deleting social media apps from my phone so i have to go on like a browser to check things and i'm still shocked by how much time i manage to spend on my phone yeah so when people say i don't have time whether it's for the gym to cook to do their hobby you probably do I mean, <laughs> you definitely do. We're not like, you know, we're not out there like cavemen hunting to survive. Like you're, you're, <laughs> job and you're coming home and you're probably bullshitting for a good amount of time at work anyway. So, I, so, I mean, I, I noticed myself, like working corporate jobs, like a lot of that time is bullshit. It's meetings and emails. You're just basically responding to emails for seven hours a day. And, at, you know, really like that could be used in a, in a, in a more, even if you want to just read for another 20 minutes or half hour a day. You know, it's, it's really, your time could be managed a lot better. And yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that they added that feature in because I see that sometimes I just put my phone down and just pick up a book. And I'm like, All right. <laughs> yeah. I just throw my phone out the window. <laughs> so, okay. So then the second part to this is what advice do you have for our listeners? I would say to have a, a side hustle. So 
I'm a big believer in doing something. You know, for me, the photography was my side thing when I was working my corporate jobs. I would say, you know, whatever it is, whatever you can figure out, have a second income. So not just for the financial reason of that is that you want to be more, more diversified. It's just smart. So you get laid off or whatever. So you, you get, you quit your job, whatever it is, you have a second form of income coming in, but also in terms of the, the mental sanity you get from whatever it is you're doing on the side, obviously pick something that you enjoy doing, but you'll, it's crazy how much that does for your well being and your overall happiness. When I started, you know, peppering in photography shoots and whatever it was with my other job, I looked forward to them. I looked forward to doing those things and it kept me, kept me creative, it gave me an outlet to do something with where, you know, when I was balancing spreadsheets, I, I zero creativity involved there. Yet if I can then go home from work and then, you know, go shoot some astrophotography at the Milky Way at night. That was really cool for me. And that gave me that outlet to use that creativity and to still be, you know, that creative kid who grew up. And I, and whether, and then you'll say you want to make jewelry, you want to, you want to, whatever it is on the side you want to do, do something that you enjoy, that you can make you some money ideally and do it and, and spend time on it. And it won't, you know, overnight it's not going to happen. But if you, if you stick to it for, you know, a few weeks, few months, few years, you'll see how you can all of a sudden maybe, oh, I can maybe quit my full-time job and do what I'm doing on the side. Or it just stays as a hobby and you just maybe make a couple bucks from it or you make nothing from it. But you have your you have fulfillment in something that's not your day-to-day job. Because the reality is some people just can't have a, a job that they love to do. Sometimes you just have to get whatever situation you're in in life, you just have to pay bills and get caught up into, into life. I get that. But do something on the side in your free time. Like we said, all this time it's being wasted. Pick up a whatever it is you're doing. Pick up a hobby or a side hustle. Make some money on the side and you'll your happiness will improve so much. And from my own experience, I can say that. I love that advice so much and I really relate to that. I, I think that, yes, I'm, I'm really fortunate in the career that I have with my day job where I'm, I'm passionate about what I do. I feel like I have purpose. But at the same time, I'm focusing on federal ocean policy and politics, which can be super exhausting and really frustrating and sometimes really dry um and you know in order to to fill that void and feel like i have a more robust life and i'm i have this creative outlet where i'm able to go home and just completely unplug and let my mind go wherever it wants to on any given day or try to um translate all of the beauty that i see in the world like i feel like photography for me is like okay I'm giving everybody a little snapshot into the way that I see the world. And I think that's so fascinating to share and to view with people like you and other photographers that I, I admire and follow is you get a little bit of a glimpse into somebody's head. Yeah, and that's a great way to put it. Yeah, you really see kind of how they see the world, which is a cool thing to see the, someone's creativity kind of mm-hmm. put out there. Yes. Um, so Alex, I am, I'm so grateful for you taking the time to share your story with me and our listeners today. I am glad that people like you exist in the world and I really look forward to following along with your future projects. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. That was great. I also would like to thank the listeners for tuning in. And if you like what you heard and want to hear more of this show and other outstanding shows from my fellow hosts on this network, subscribe to rate and review the American Shoreline Podcast Network wherever you listen to podcasts. Finally, be sure to like the American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today on Facebook. Follow at Coastal News 365 on Twitter because this is where you can interact with us and submit feedback on our shows and give me recommendations for inspiring people to invite on as guests. I am always looking for new people to talk to. 
Um, and if you would like to interact with me personally, you can find me on Twitter. It's at Yenna Benna. It's Y-E-N-N-A, B-E-N-N-A. And then on Instagram, it is at Yenna Benna, but the Yenna has three N's in it. Um, I know it's a silly name, but it's not changing. Um, so I welcome you to find me on those platforms and we can discuss our coastlines and conservation. Thank you. That was, that was fun.